0: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV terms and restrictions apply.
1: Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. Steven Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer and we're back for another episode of 1% better. It is an interesting time in the Colts calendar. Um, it is, it's kind of like this in between stage, right, Zach, where you know the free agency, the draft is done uh they are now getting some workouts done, and so we're you know we're kind of processing everything we've seen from the beginning of the year to now, and you know the season's getting closer, the schedule's out, all that um so we actually have plenty to talk about because i don't think we've i don't think we have had an episode since we number one got the schedule. Uh, we also spent some time with Chris Ballard in the draft room, so we picked up, uh, where we left off a couple years ago after not having done that last year, so that was good. And now, uh, they're, they're back on the field this week, so there is stuff happening. Um,
2: off-season, right, Zach? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting time because you start to see what the schedule is going to look like. That's exciting, right, when you can sort of map out what it's going to be like, especially early on. I think they played five mm-hmm. teams to start that had 10 wins or more last season. That's yeah. going to be fun. Um, you got the 17th game. I, I took a lot from the draft room. I'm excited to dig into that. We can share some stuff that we saw in there with you guys um, that we maybe couldn't write about necessarily, but we can sort of hint at uh, mm-hmm. just a really informative session um and tomorrow we get to see him on the field we get to see the 2021 Colts on the field for the first time very different offseason setup we're not going to see a mini camp in June like we have in years past I'm omitting last year because of COVID there was no offseason uh I'm excited to see a bunch of guys Paris Campbell who Mm -hmm. we'll talk to later today Quiddy Pay you know the list goes on and on Marlon Mack who's back um we're going to see this team for the next couple weeks on the field and then there's going to be quite a bit of a break and we're going to get away for a little bit and then we're going to come back and it's going to be football. And I'm excited to, to see what this team can start to look like because they really, you know, you look at it on paper, they answered every question they had this offseason, They filled every spot they needed to. Now I'm not saying they did the right thing and Carson Wentz is going to be a star. We don't know that. That's the fun part, but at least they filled all those holes that all those question marks they had when, when January rolled around.
1: Yeah, no question about it. So, so let's let's start. Uh, we do have some things to cover. So let's start uh, with that. I guess what two three hours we spent in the draft room <laughs> uh, last week. That uh, that's always very illuminating. And and Chris Ballard. I mean, he he goes the whole. He does the whole nine. He pulls up the film and everything, and and you you start to see these players they selected through his eyes, which is which is actually very illuminating. I think and, and revealing because. Um, you know, he always tells us what he likes and what he's looking for, but when you can see it, then it helps kind of give you a better picture. But anyhow, um, let's start just, I, I think we've already covered this a little bit, but uh, the, the quiddy pay thing, I, I started, he started with that cause he went in order and, and I asked him, I said, you guys really didn't think he'd be there. Right. And he didn't say we had no clue, but he, he did allow that. They only thought there were a handful of elite defensive players and they thought in terms of defensive linemen that he was basically one or one a and so i mean they, they were i think the truth of the matter is they were surprised and they felt really freaking lucky <laughs> it doesn't seem like there was a lot of discussion on that um what what did you take away from just the things that he said about quitty pay and and just uh his projection for him and and his you know what he sees going forward there
2: so they thought he might go as high as 10, which yes. is very telling, right? That's yeah. how they had their board. Their board is not going to look like a lot of the mock drafts you see out there. I think a lot of NFL teams would probably agree with that. And basically, you know, the, the decision was made before Thursday night rolled around for the first round of the draft. You know, they mm-hmm. they had Derisaw on the board, and it was Derisaw, and they, and they liked Derisaw, but they loved Pay, And I think that's what came through. Another interesting element here is they didn't find out Pay's medicals checked out 100%. Until ten o'clock the night before. That's significant. A lot of teams yeah. were scrambling this year because of the no combine, the change in the medical procedures. This stuff is really important, right? He had a, I think, a little bit of a heart scare, but hundred percent clear. The Colts felt good about it, but that happened twenty four hours before the draft. And and Ballard Which thought is about crazy, it. by the way. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a huge investment you're making. This is a five yeah. year thing with with the first round pick and the extra year. So. Uh, when 21 rolled around, yes, they were surprised Pay was there. But also, you know, this had been decided. The board had been stacked. They went with the board. Um, Pay was the pick. We'll see what kind of player Christian Derrissaw becomes. Maybe that's the comparison we have for years to come. But uh, they addressed the left tackle issue a week later. So you could say they, they killed two birds with one stone. They got two pass rushers in the first two rounds. But when you watch Pay, I'm anxious for your thoughts. I see a guy that could start at the red, right defensive end spot from week one. He's got to do it in camp. He's got to earn it. It's a little bit up in the air in terms of what his competition is going to be. I don't know where Kamoko Toure is going to be. Uh, Taquan Lewis will probably factor in. But but Koury Pay is going to bring a lot to this room that's going to fit in right away. Right? We've talked about how hard he plays. That stood out on the tape. He beat tackles in a lot of different ways. He can win with power. He's a compact rusher that can just go straight at you bull rush you and get the and get the feet of the tackle off base he can win with with a move to the outside but Ballard did say he needs to he needs to develop a second move a lot of rushers coming into the league need that but this guy's going to be fun to watch and i want to see him starting tomorrow in these little practices we're going to see we're not going to see him really go against you know the offensive line full throttle but i'm anxious to see this guy in camp because I think he could be a starter in week one
1: yeah, I think you can tell what kind of athlete a guy is just, you know, from watching him do football movements. It doesn't tell you that he's gonna be a good player, but it does tell you, you know, how he moves and and what kind of athletic ability he has. And I think Quiddy Pay has those those elements. So that will tell us something. Uh I, I really think two things. Number one, I, I do agree. Yeah, Chris Ballard, I think, hit it on the head. That's really gonna be the difference between Quiddy Pay being a good player and maybe a great player is you know developing those counter moves and and always having an answer, okay? Because he's gonna go up against offensive tackles who are who are ready for him. Okay. They're ready for him. And they they know he's he's their first round pick. Everybody's gonna be talking about you. They're gonna see you on tape. There's not gonna be any surprises for those guys. So he's he's gonna have to be ready for that. And and sometimes he'll just beat him because he's a better athlete, but you can't always rely on that. So I, I love that they they know that going in. Uh, that is going to be a top priority, and I'm sure they're you know well aware of, of what they've got to do to develop that. That will come. I'm not worried about that. Uh, he's all, and he's very coachable, right? So they're not worried about that. This guy is imminently
2: coachable, okay? Um, I mean, what did, what did Darius Leonard say about him yesterday? I mean, Darius, I've oh, you know, yeah. been with him a couple of days, and he said, these are the guys you want, right? He's a humble guy. He's got that motor, that meanness, that toughness. The fact that Pay has made that impression on Darius already, that's a really good sign
1: and and he feel, I think he feels a little kinship with him not because their stories are the same clearly their their backgrounds are are different <laughs> but they all they both in, involve a lot of hardship right and and having to have overcome a lot of things and gone through a lot of things in many many different ways but but they both have a story and i think that resonates with Darius anybody who he's said that before anybody who who has yeah. had to overcome stuff like he he has uh that that type of thing resonates with Darius Leonard and he really respects that. So I think he sees a little bit of himself in Quitty Pay, you know. Um, I mean, this
2: is a pretty telling quote from Darius. He said, "These are the type of guys you need. You don't want guys to come in and say I made it. They want to mm-hmm. be in the public eye. I just want guys who are kind of come in and be a dog. We don't want any prima donnas on this defense." Yeah. Yeah, that that puts that's
1: it in a nutshell. So Another thing from the draft room, and I can't go too far on this because so the way this works is I don't want to get in trouble. Okay, so, <laughs> so so Chris Ballard, uh, some of this stuff is, is for public consumption. And you know, Zach wrote a story about it, we do every year, it's not a secret. And then there's portions of it where he's like, okay, this is off the record. <laughs> okay, so so the trick is telling you about some of those things without telling you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So so that's so I'm just I'm kind of giving you a little bit of a sense of why I'll trip over my words on some of this and and Zach you as well. But anyway, we did talk about quarterbacks. And I think this was interesting because obviously the Colts made the Carson Wentz deal, but then there was so much quarterback action both before and during the draft, right? You know, you had what the 49ers did, you had the Bears making the move for Justin Fields, you had Mac Jones, yeah, all this stuff going on. And so we did try to we did get some thoughts on on the quarterbacks from him, and it was very interesting uh some of the guys who went really high Ballard not a fan, okay, <laughs> and then other guys uh he was actually pretty high on and and I'm not gonna you know name names because he was he was holding that close to the vest but um I will say this, we did ask about the justin fields thing and and this is something I heard from fans on draft night, like man that could have been us. And I get that, right? I get that. Um, I don't think... Two things, number one. I I think, number one, they couldn't have foreseen that, number one. Number two, I just don't get the feeling they were willing to take the chance. I think they feel like they got a reasonable deal with Carson Wentz. Uh, They have a coach who thinks he can get them right. And they thought that that opportunity trumped whatever possibilities there might be in this draft. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, we don't know what the cost would have been if they're now bidding against, for example, the Chicago Bears to go get Justin Fields, right? right. What would the cost have been? I, who knows, right? We don't know that. So, yeah, I mean, but I think it was interesting though it, it, to, to, to know first that they were still working through the quarterbacks up until, Through the draft. I mean, all the way through. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Because what if one of those guys falls to you and then you have to decide? So uh, did you have any takeaways that you can talk about on the quarterback thing or is that kind of
2: pushing it already? I, (laughs) I, I will say this. For those that think the Colts should have held out and traded up for Justin Fields, uh, Fields is great. You know, I, I think it's fair to say Ballard thinks yeah. he's going to be a great player. Um, Ballard
1: Ballard first mentioned Justin Fields to me two years ago. Okay, This guy, yeah, he's been I, on I his radar a long he's time. He's seen him a lot,
2: right? Yeah. I think he yeah, saw yeah, him so. in Michigan. He saw him play Indiana. Like He's seen him frequently. But my takeaway is this. It is not in that man's DNA to put his team in a chan- in a situation where they have to get lucky. The Bears got lucky. They made a great move. I hope it works out. But the the fact that the Colts did not have a quarterback entering this year before they moved the Carson Wentz move means they would have had to go sign someone, you know, that's out there. And that would have been Andy Dalton or somebody. You don't put yourself in a situation where you have to go trade up in round one of the draft because you don't have a suitable quarterback to play. Um, You know, the Bears had Andy Dalton as a backup. They went and got fields. We'll see how it works out. But that's not how ballot operates. You couldn't have foreseen the chance that the Bears had. And, you know, maybe the Bears are a little bit more aggressive in terms of what they were willing to give up to move up. Maybe the Colts were. I know they talked about what it was going to take to move up. Early in the offseason, when Rivers retired, they're looking at this quarterback class and thinking, sure. OK, what's it going to take to move up if we want to do that? Um, but, yeah, they, they have no second thoughts over the Carson Wentz move. They feel really good about him. The fact that he's 28, he's already proven it in this league is another thing to consider. Cause not all these quarterbacks in round one are going to pan out. I can just guarantee you that I think the no. success rate is roughly around 40%. Um, we'll see. That's what, that's the fun part. But um, to think the Colts were just going to sit back, wait for the first night of the draft to unfold and then decide if they were going to move up. That's just not how this team does business. So we'll see how it works out, but um, it's going to be fun to see Justin Fields in Chicago. We'll see if they can give him the help he's going to need early in his career.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And, and, a couple things, too. A couple other things. I mean, number one, you got a boss. You're Chris Ballard. I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Like, you got you to gotta answer to somebody, okay? You're going to tell Jim Mercer, "Eh, ah, Jim, sit tight, boss. We got it. <laughs> and then you strike out? Oh, you
2: can't do that. You just you can't, like... Right? It would have been out of your control, right? You right, know? exactly, so exactly. That's just bad. That's just bad management. I mean, anybody who's running
1: a multi-billion-dollar enterprise, which is what an NFL team is... That is absolutely reckless. Now, I get, I get that rolling the dice could pay off, and handsomely, potentially, right? I mean, the Bears feel like they won, okay? They, they got to feel like they won. I mean, it was expensive, but but, yeah, but they got to win. Yeah, you read
2: uh, yeah. our colleague Adam Johns' story in Chicago, I mean, Ryan Pace, for a long time, was telling Matt Nagy, like, there's no chance we get this kid. There's just yeah. no chance. They got lucky. Good for them. They made the move, but that's just something you can't prepare for.
1: Right, but I mean the alternative was they were playing Andy Dalton. Okay, so <laughs> if they didn't get lucky, so that that's that's kind of where it was. But anyway, we're not here to relitigate that. Um, I I would also say, uh, coming from the draft room, <laughs> this was I, I thought this was kind of hilarious to me. Have you ever heard Chris Ballard like, heap praise on a player? Like, nope. Like I know who Dale you're gonna say, Odango. I have never. I don't know that I've ever heard him heap. Praise on a player, just be in in love with a player at the level he is with
2: this kid. This I might counter kid. that with Quentin Nelson. Yeah, I, that's that's like the the one guy that comes to mind, and it's so different because it's a left guard, right? We were watching Nelson stretch, <laughs> right. and he was like fawning over him. And if you that was a little weird. I mean, it was the first weird. time. Yeah, it was a little weird. But <laughs> if you love interior line play like Chris Ballard does, you know, everyone's got their thing. Yeah. Um, he was obsessed with Nelson from the start, and it made sense. When you watch the tape, you were like, he just moves in a way that a man that big shouldn't move. Yeah. But, yes, Deo is his crush right now, right? I mean, No question. It's going to take some time, and we're all going to have to be patient. But you watch the tape, and you see what Ballard's talking about, and you see what Morocco Brown's talking about, Hurricane Deo. This kid's a freak, and and they loved him, and they were thrilled to get him in the second round. And I think there's so many different things you can do with him once you get him healthy. I think that's the fun part. Um, They might have found a diamond in the rough, but there's a long way to go. And he's going to have to do it against NFL tackles and guards and centers. And he's going to have to prove it. But he checks so many of the boxes that Ballard loves, right? He's got all the measurables, but then he's got that extra trait, that explosiveness, that stuff that's just really hard to find in people that are that big. So um, Deo is a Chris Ballard... I mean, he is. That's his guy. He's a, he's he's he was entranced by this kid.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I won't get into exactly what he said, but <laughs> let's just say that if this kid didn't have the Achilles injury, this is probably their first round pick. I'm I'm convinced. I'm convinced they would have took this kid in the first round.
2: And they love quitty pay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a knock on pay. It's just that that's but I how think much you're they love right.
2: this guy. And it sounds like from from people you've talked to. There were a couple other teams who really wanted to take him right around oh, where the sure. Colts took him. Yeah, yeah,
1: no question. There were a couple teams that were a couple spots behind the Colts that were really in love with him. So, yeah, he, he wasn't going to last long had the Colts not taken him. And I actually saw that reported elsewhere, too. A couple other people had heard the same thing. So, I think the Rams were one of them who were, I think, two or three spots behind the Colts. So, yeah, they, he wasn't going to last long. Everybody I think knew. the Chiefs,
2: I think, uh, I think we can say the Chiefs were pretty bummed. When, hmm. when Dale was taken off the board, so interesting, interesting.
1: So anyway, that that I think is a little window into you know what you know what may be uh, in the future for this kid. If if Chris Ballard is right, I mean he could be wrong. Hell, he could be completely wrong for all I know. But all I can yeah. tell you is, like I- I'm just telling you, he was talking about this kid like you know like like he was his firstborn son. Okay, so take it for what it's worth. But I was
2: I, I was struck by it. I probably looked over at you like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? The <laughs> one know? thing that, that jumped out to me is when I listened to the, the talk again, the thing that Bar- Ballard started out with before we even turned on the tape was this kind of speech about discipline and how he's mm. just going to lean towards discipline when he's making these selections. And this is the key thing he said I about Dave. We, we think the reward's going to be great. And not a lot of GMs have this ability not necessarily to to pass on a need but to pick a guy that's maybe not going to play until November or December right you want the instant impact guy and there were definitely guys that were going to do that instead of Deo at that spot but the Colts are taking this long term approach and they think the payoff down the line when he really grows into his own year two three four they think he could be great Uh, we'll see there's no way to know right now but it's fun to watch his tape that's for sure. So, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because
1: I'm I'm flipping back in my notes, and I, I saw something else here that I wanted to add along the same lines. You know, he got into this sort of philosophy um, when we got on that topic, and the one thing he added was, he said, you know, I know people love, you know, big-time skill players, right? It's fun to go get a big-time receiver and all that, but you notice, I mean, I granted, they, they've drafted a few second-round receivers, but but the first round picks he's made, and there've only been a couple, but the first round picks have, have been linemen, right? I mean, even if you include DeForest Buckner, right? I mean, they have been linemen and a lot of his early picks, right? I mean, look at the, even the the pass rushers you don't like, they they were linemen, right? He, he definitely prioritizes inside out. That has been clear from day one. And what he said is, he said, you know, you can do some things to hide skill guys. So if your receivers suck, that's a problem granted, (laughs) but you can, you can work around that, right? You can do some things scheme wise to work around that and to, to give yourself a chance to succeed. I'm not saying their receivers suck. I'm just saying generally, right? So he thinks that you can overcome that more easily, but he said, but if you're not good enough up front, you are going to have problems. And I tend to agree with that. I mean, I'm not saying this guy has it all figured
2: out, but I mean, that's it is football, man. I mean, he's not budging on that. He said that from day one. He's preached it. He's he's backed it up with his draft picks and his free agent signings, and it's just not going to change. Whether you agree with it or not, yeah, it's change. get going used to, to this, change.
1: people. Just you better look. You if you don't want to accept this, go find another favorite team. Okay, I'm just telling right. you now. Like, right. go find another favorite team. This dude is not budging, and and he's to be honest with you, the reality does prove him right. I mean. How good was Tyree Hill in the Super Bowl? He didn't do shit. <laughs> right? Because he couldn't get him the ball. So yeah, best it, it doesn't on the matter.
2: Looked very, very mediocre at best.
1: Right. Know? Right. So and he's not wrong. I mean, it, it is a hard thing to swallow on draft night when you know you see these tantalizing players and you've seen them make plays in college for three years, and you're like, man, that guy looked good in the Colts uniform. And he probably would. Uh, but again it all has to work together you know the front has to align with the perimeter and the back end and so forth so anyway i think that these settings when we talked to Ballard just like on the podcast last week when he joined us i think this is when you really get i think into his thinking you know it's one thing to give us you know a line in a press conference but when he's talking about what he believes that is very informative when you start to think about what this team might do and, and moves they might consider or not consider. That's that's how you can anticipate what he will and won't do. That's really what it is. I mean, I, I think that is very very telling. So anyway, I just thought that was important to to add. Um, I'll add one other thing he said in there, uh, grandson. Now nah, I don't I don't think this has been a big issue, but um, he was kind of like shrugging at the whole issue about drops that that has been talked about. He's like, I thought his hands are fine. And and I think that might have been a game or two that that got over um you know overemphasized,
2: maybe. I don't know. But um they like this kid. I think he's gonna play a lot. And I think he's, I think got he's gonna chance. play this year. Oh yeah. And yeah. we got a chance to chat with Frank Reich a little bit before the session and uh you know Frank is gonna make the decisions, and I think Frank thinks the same thing. Um I worry a little bit about his size and I mm-hmm. worry a little bit about you know, just getting acclimated to an NFL offense and, and much faster, bigger players on the field for him. Yeah. But if you watch his highlights, he's got that explosion. That's how Reich described him. And, you know, Chris explained it pretty clearly. He's going to be a third down guy. He's going to be a third down target. He doesn't do what Jack Doyle does and doesn't do what Mo'Ali Cox does. And that's a good thing. That's what they wanted. Um, I think he's going to be a fun player to watch. It'll be fun to see how he adapts in training camp against a really good defense but um, keep an eye on, on on Granson. I think he's going to be a fun rookie to watch this season.
1: Yeah, and then uh, just a couple quick tidbits. Uh, Sean Davis, the safety out of Florida, they like this kid. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about him, and he, he wasn't a guy I spent much time looking at before the draft. I, I will be completely honest about that. But they like the fact that uh, he is physical. I also asked, is he interchangeable, meaning can he play strong and free safety? And they – I think there's no doubt he can do both. So they, they like his ball skills. And I, I like the combination of a guy with ball skills who can also be physical because sometimes those two things don't match up. But uh, this guy does seem to have uh, both those, those skill sets. So that's interesting. Um, a good also, note on
2: him real quick is yeah. this is from Alan Williams, who's the Colt Safety's coach. You know, these are early meetings, but he thought Davis is right where Kari Willis was coming out mm. of school mentally. And Kari Willis, I feel like talking to him as a rookie, he sounded like a five-year vet. And his play has continually elevated the last two seasons. And Ballard thinks Kari is one of the most underrated players on the defense. That's a really good comparison for Davis. We'll see. But I think this guy, he does have great ball skills. He hits the the crap out of you. You saw that in the highlights. Um, He'll be a fun guy to watch. A young safety um, behind Julian Blackman and Kari Willis.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash The requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms
1: and restrictions apply. And then the last guy I want to touch on is is Sam Ellinger who obviously had that the tragedy with his brother and and I don't I don't know if he's back yet. I think he's supposed to be back this week, actually. He is so, back. Yeah. He yeah, was back yeah. Sunday. Right. So anyway, he uh look, there's no plan here. It's just we'll see how it goes. But but why draft this kid, right? Uh, I think because right now he's probably the third quarterback, you know, at best. So, yeah. why draft this kid? And and I don't know that we spent a lot of time talking about him after the draft because there was a lot of other stuff going on, but the the feeling there is look, he doesn't have maybe elite arm talent. He doesn't have maybe elite size even. Uh there's a lot of things about him that are not elite, but he is so charismatic and so competitive. They think, you know what? This is a guy who he might find a way and I don't I don't think that's a bad a, a bad rationale I mean we'll see right I mean he doesn't he doesn't maybe fit into a box like at all right he's not he's definitely like if you put him in a room with Jacob Eason, you're gonna like okay I want Jacob Eason. <laughs> you know what I mean like if you put them side by side and you were just picking teams you know like you're gonna take Jacob Eason. he looks like a pro quarterback you running running the first team
2: offense the last couple of days by the way
1: Good point. Good point. Uh Carson Wentz been a little under the weather, not COVID, but uh they're getting a good look at him. That's that's for sure. So, but anyhow, it it is uh it is gonna be interesting. I think, you know, they're they're taking they're taking shots, right? You take shots at guys in the draft, especially you get to the sixth round. Why not take a shot on a guy who was a big time winner at a huge program? Uh, you talk about a guy who's not gonna be phased, right? I mean, I mean, you're playing for Texas. You're the quarterback at freaking Texas. You have the the weight of an entire state on your shoulders. Okay, so
2: let me ask you this: I, I think Ellinger is a, is a locker room pick. Yeah, and this was an interesting question yeah. that was posed at Ballard from Jim Ayello: Is he sort of going to fill the Jacoby Brissett role? And Ballard said no. And I think that's a bigger loss than a lot of people are going to realize. Jacoby yeah. was a Absolutely a leader on that team in a lot of ways. And he mm-hmm. converted a heck of a lot of third downs as well. But no, Ellinger is not going to walk in and beat Jacoby Brissett in terms of the locker room. But I think he might be able to add something in the years to come if he's able to make the roster. I think not only would he make Carson Wentz better, he could make Jacob Eason better from everything we know yeah. about Sam Ellinger. I think it's an interesting pick. I'm anxious to watch him in camp. But it sounds like this is a guy that just makes your football team better in some way or another.
1: Yeah, I think you know the, the areas where you might say Jacob Eason is lacking. This is those are areas where Ellinger actually ex- excels, like it, the leadership aspect. Because I think people have doubted that about Eason. You know, is can he be a guy to lead a team and those kinds of things? I think that'll come in time. You know, because it'll have to. You know, he'll have to develop that. I'm talking about Eason, but, but but right now, right, he hasn't had a chance to demonstrate that. Uh, but Ellinger has demonstrated it and has is off the charts in that way. So, and the other thing he mentioned, he being Ballard is he does have some, he, he's, he's different than Jacoby Brissett, but, but he's athletic in that he could be a situational guy too. That is is something that is, he said, you know, Frank Reich could do some creative things with him. So there's, there's a couple of different thought processes going on with Sam Ellinger. That, you know, they're down the line, but just, you know, file that away in the back of your head. So um, let's talk about Eric Fisher. Now, I, I think I think this is ultimately going to be a good move for them. I think my question is, you know, the health. And I'm working on a story right now uh, about Achilles and, and what timelines look like and that kind of thing. I think it's going to be close. I, I, I think they're really pushing it to expect this guy to be ready to start the season, based on what I've heard from people. But everybody's different, so we'll see. Um,
2: but really, like week one? No, I don't think he's going to be ready. I, I don't think. Okay. I mean, I, 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 you know, I just, I just assumed it wouldn't be week one.
1: Yeah, but no, I, I didn't. I didn't either. But I'm, I'm, I'm more convinced of that now. Is what I'm
2: saying. Okay. And, okay. I'm anxious yeah. to read the story just to see where he's at because it's not just Fisher. It's you know Marlon Max back, and yeah. you've also got you know Deo, who's somewhere in the weeds trying to figure out where he's going to be. So the the Colts are like officially sponsored by Achilles injuries this year. Unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's
1: weird. That's why I'm doing the story. It's weird. Uh, and and then you know the 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 takeaway. I, I'm talking to another physician when we get off the call here. But uh, one other thing, or one thing I, I've gleaned so far is that one of the hard things about Achilles, and this is true of most major injuries, is. The progress can be good, and and these guys are clearly on, you know, on schedule, or they probably wouldn't be here. But uh, the progress can be good. The the problem is you don't really know what you have until you really put the guy out there and say, okay, go do football stuff. And neither of them, you know, being Fisher or, or Dango, neither of them have done any real football activity, so they don't have a lot to judge by. Is the problem they can judge. You know, the MRIs, they can see, you know, what the strength is and, you know, all those things, what the range of motion is. What they can't judge is, is where they're going to be when they actually get back on the field doing football activities. And that's where timelines can be different, you know, because some guys, when they get back out there, they respond well and they can go. Other guys... Not so much. But you don't know that until the very end of the process. And that's what's going to be tricky. So so we'll see. Um, I'll get into more detail in the story. But uh, but but let me let me talk about this. Eric Fisher, I think this to me feels like this feels like a, a story that that is not about 2021, don't you think?
2: That was a development we got last week that I yeah. thought was a little interesting, right? I mean, technically, it's a two-year contract. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, in reality, it's a one-year. But the sound and, and the impression that we took was this could be a multi-year thing if this works out, if this yeah. ankle, this Achilles, if he comes back a 100%. And that could change things down the line, right? All of a sudden, there's not a ton of pressure to go get a left tackle in next year's draft. So, um and Fisher said that, right? I mean, last week... When you talk to him, it was like, Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of good football left in me, and that doesn't mean just one year.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think I think if it goes well, Chris Ballard, first of all, is I know this is his guy and he, he spent some time with him in Kansas City, but um he, he seems to be he's a big Eric Fisher guy. There's no question about that. I got that impression for sure. And he they think he is an excellent player. Um I know Frank Reich is a fan of this too. He he was definitely pushing Eric Fisher to get signed. So, he's on board with it. Um, the The question is going to be, and we talked to Mike Bloom, who handles the salary cap for the Colts. We didn't ask this specific question, but it is an issue. Uh, the question is going to be, they're going to have a whole lot of money tied up in their offensive line here. Okay? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, think about this. Eric Fisher, I don't know. We haven't seen the contract. I checked yesterday. It's not filed. But, um, you know, it could be, A max of $9 million this year. They're talking about re-signing Braden Smith. So let's say that happens. Let's say I'm just pulling the number out of my ass. Say he gets $10 million a year, which is very, very likely. And then you've got Ryan Kelly's, I think, already $10 million a year. (laughs) Quentin Nelson's going to be north of that for sure. So, my God, I mean, what percentage of the salary cap are these guys going to eat up? But what's the trade-off, right? You know, get a a slap, you know, slap, x, you know, expletive, <laughs> uh, you know, left tackle? I don't know, right? I mean, what's the alternative? Because I, I've gotten this question from some people. But, but, again, this goes back to what we were just saying earlier about Chris Ballard. Do you think he cares how much it costs?
2: I don't. I think you got to do some cap gymnastics to do. to fit in all those guys, and then pay Darius, and then there's going to be some other guys coming up. So that'll be difficult. That was an interesting part of the conversation with Mike Bloom is how you do that. It's more so tied to the cash than it is the salary cap. Yeah. But that's the same kind of you know. And Ballard put it this way: it's 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 no different than handing out scholarships back when he was at Texas A and M Kingsville
0: mm-hmm. than it is
2: dealing with 182 million dollars for the salary cap. But the one thing that I have heard 40 times from Ballard over the last month or two. Is how much the decrease in salary cap impacted his thinking this year, right? They were expecting 210 and it got shot down to 182 million. That's a huge difference, especially when you're looking to pay 53 and 56 and Braden Smith and possibly Naheem Hines. So that'll be interesting. On the one end, if you get Fisher for a couple of years, that's great. You've got to two-time Pro Bowl left tackle, who can probably step right in and and play at the level Anthony Costanza was playing at. Yeah, Maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, but somewhere in that neighborhood, which is what you want when you've got a new franchise quarterback. But secondly, that's a lot of money tied up on that offensive line, and I don't know if you can continue to pay all those guys. It's going to be hard because you're going to want to pay – you know, down the line you're gonna to wanna to play Kari Willis and Jonathan Taylor yeah. and Michael Pittman and, and, and Paris Campbell. Maybe if he stays healthy, this is a good problem to have. It's what you do, it's what you deal with when you when you draft so well. But um the Eric Fisher thing is interesting. If he can become somewhat of a long term solution there for a couple of years, that's one less huge headache they have to deal with if they can make the numbers work.
1: Yeah, and you just hit on something there, and this is a, a long term issue, but but something it's not too early to think about is uh, they haven't had to make tough choices yet in terms of, you know, letting their own free agents walk. They haven't had to make a lot of those. Right. Uh, generally, if if they want a guy, they've been able to keep them. Uh, that's that's been the case. But they haven't had a lot of those guys. Right. There haven't been a lot of those decisions. The only one that comes to mind, a couple of them come to mind, Danico Autry. And I think they were. They were thinking about getting younger, I think, is what that boiled down to. And then the other one would be Anthony Walker, who honestly was expendable. As much as I love, love, love Anthony, he was expendable. Right.
2: because I think he Bobby, played 15 or 18 plays in the playoff game. Bobby yeah. Okereke just took a spot. Bobby Ricky is
1: just a really good player. It is what it is, and no nobody has any hard feelings there. Anthony wanted to play more; he will play more, I think, in Cleveland. So it worked out well. Everybody won, but they haven't had to make a choice where like there's a guy they really absolutely wanted and needed, and they just couldn't afford him. That may happen though at some point. You
2: know, I mean, they have will. drafted really well. It it, it's going it to happen. Yeah. It happens to every team. If you have success, if you have great, great draft picks, you're just going to have to pick. It happened to Bill Polian. He just yep. kept stacking great number one picks, and eventually, you have to say goodbye to guys like David Thornton or Cato June. It's just it's the nature of it. But um, you saw that with the Ravens. You're seeing yeah. that
1: with the Ravens, for example, a team that drafts exceedingly well, right? And it's the same exact problem. Uh, they had to do that this year. Two pass rushers to you know go in free agency, you know, and they got to replace those guys. So it, it's it's a it's a problem that that good front offices just have to deal with. And and you as a fan have to anticipate that happening. So interesting. Uh, Hey, so any thoughts on this, this OTA potential new normal? And if you haven't heard as a listener, basically here's the deal. So you know, that NFL players have kind of been resistant to OTAs this year and, and not wanting to report. So each team has kind of handled this on their own. And the Colts, through Ryan Kelly and and some of their leaders. Ryan Kelly's their union rep. Uh, They negotiated with the the team, and what they decided is they're going to give them two solid weeks, this week and next week, two solid weeks of workouts. Uh, There won't be any contact, and there there really won't be any offense versus defense. They're trying to avoid injuries. Uh, They're taking the 17 games into account on some level here too, so a little bit longer season. So anyway, the bottom line is, they're not going to have their mandatory minicamp. They're going to give them these two solid weeks. I think they'll still do some meetings maybe, but but they won't be on site for practice. So it's a, a very different world. I mean, they've gone from being on site,
2: what, from like mid-April yeah. to mid-June. Like Six or seven weeks stretch. here. And the rookies don't leave. I mean, the rookies are like, here are the minute the draft's over. Yeah. They don't leave until training camp starts and then they just go right into training camp, which has got to be exhausting. Um, it's different. And and I imagine there are some coaches, whether they are saying this or not, there are some coaches out there that are frustrated because, you know, luckily the Colts are not implementing a new system on offense or defense, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is less time on task. And, and Frankie even mentioned the other day, like every minute of practice is specifically scripted because we have such a smaller window of time to get these guys in the field now they're not doing ones versus ones or anything like that I think it's mostly like routes versus air for the offense you know just getting the system going um for the defense I bet it's a lot of individual yeah. and then scheme impl- Im- implementation but yeah. uh you know it, it, I get it from the player's perspective though like if you're Marlon Mack and you're going full speed in June and minicamp and you ding something like that's just going to that's just going to hurt you. You know, that's just going to you know, players are protecting are protecting themselves. And I think that's what Ryan Kelly said. So it's a compromise. I think the players got the better end of it because they're not going to have to deal with a mini camp in June and put themselves further at injury risk. Um, but we'll see. And, and, and when camp gets going in July, it'll take three or four days before they get in pads again. But, um, you know, they're going to have to make the most of these two weeks. That's for sure, because everything they do these two weeks, they won't have to do when they start camp in July.
1: Yeah. It also, the other thing I would add is that it, it puts a huge onus on the individual. So you better show up for training camp ready to go. Now, I mean, that's always true because there's always that six week break, but they're, they're going to have a full two months off before training camp. And there's not going to be any excuses. You better show up ready to go. I mean, because if you don't, I mean, no one's going to feel sorry for you. I mean, you got what you wanted as players, so you better handle your business that that's one thing that i anticipate is just going to be a reality for these players uh, but the other on the other side of the coin like the players are saying you know we every year every off season, we read stories around the league you know some guy tears his acl in an ota practice or you know has a you know whatever some sort of significant injury uh, it it impacts him in the season and you know granted they're covered and they get paid and they go on injury reserve. But uh, what are the long-term effects? You know, how does that affect your career in the long term? So it's a legitimate thing and I get it. And, and then when you look at the 2020 injury stats that say injuries were down, kind of hard to argue against, you know, taking that approach when they didn't have an offseason last year. So it's interesting. I think, I don't know that we will really know uh, how this plays out you know, until the long term gets here, you know, until after the season, we can look back 17 games, you know, limited off season. You know, what is the full context? You know, I think we'll know then. But it, it is interesting. And I'm, I think it, you said it right. The Colts are fortunate. They're not making a lot of changes this year. I think that will help them and they'll benefit from that. So that's the one.
2: I mean, compared to a lot of teams, this is different. They had 100% participation in the virtual workouts. Remember, these are voluntary. Yeah, yeah. And they're at or near 100% right now for these. And these are voluntary as well. So that's a significant thing to note. A lot of teams have not had that this spring.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no question. So um, we'll close by just touching on the schedule really quickly. Um, so let me pull this up here. Uh, I think you already hit, you already said this at the top, and I agree. The first five games, I mean, this is just, wow. I mean, Seahawks here, uh Seahawks and Rams, both at home. That's weeks one and two. Then on the road for the Titans, uh, on the road for the Dolphins, and on the road for the Ravens. So <laughs> not only the first two very difficult games, but then three straight road games, uh, and, and those are all against teams that won 10 games. Four of those teams were in the playoffs. So, I, I mean... You can start badly and still recover. I mean, the Colts do it all the time. <laughs> it's what they right. do, right? <laughs>
2: it's like an annual tradition around here. <laughs>
1: exactly. But, uh, man, that is I, – I will say we will learn a lot about this team
2: in those you first be five ready. games. You they better be ready. Be. I would say it's not like you're playing Jacksonville in week one like they did last year, but they lost that game. So maybe it's maybe going <laughs> to take them playing a really good team like Seattle in week one. It'll be fun. I'm excited to see them play the NFC West. Um, you know, L.A., Seattle, right off the bat. And then you get to see Lamar Jackson pretty soon. It's going to be a fun year. Tom Brady's coming to town. Robert Mathis will go on the Colts Ring of Honor that day. Christmas in Arizona, which my wife wasn't thrilled about, but we'll have to <laughs> make some arrangements. Um, right. But, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, camp's going to be here before we know it. And and we're going to see, you know, I, I mean, you could talk all your day about this roster and what this team's going to do. I think it's just going to come down to Wentz. If he's good, they'll have a chance to do some damage in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think it's really not that complicated. I I think their team is good enough that they they will have a a pretty predictable, barring like a rash of injuries, because that can change everything. But if they stay relatively healthy, you know, at a level you would anticipate, they have a good enough team that it's really hard to envision them being bad. Right? Defense is
2: good. It'll be consistent.
1: The the question is going to be how good can they be, and that is largely defined by the quarterback or determined by the quarterback. I think so. So we'll see. I I actually I think there's reason for semi optimism. I mean, I I you know you hear Frank Reich talk about Carson Wentz. I know he's I know he says this about everybody, and he can't help but just love everybody. He's just you know he's such a pastor. But um, <laughs> but I I think part of that comes from a place of
2: confidence too. You know, it's I not. Frank just, has a lot of confidence in Carson, but Frank has a lot of confidence in Frank.
1: Yeah, and he won't ever say that. But we know him well enough that I know it when I hear it. You know, he's like, I mean, he's telling you, "I got
2: this." <laughs> That's what he's saying. I mean, this is this is your story. The other day, you asked him straight up. This is kind of on you. And Frank's like, you know what? It is, and I'm okay with that. Yeah.
1: He's like, turn the gun on me. I'm good with that. Right. And so I think he'll get what he wants one way or the other because it, it will be, it's, you know, it, I'm not saying he's going to get fired if it doesn't work. And that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, if anything, he's getting a contract extension. But, uh, but the, definitely, right. His hit, you know, when you're four, people start to develop some opinions about what you are. And so I think it's a, pit, a pivotal year for, for determining who is Frank Reich. I think right now his reputation is pretty good coach. Right. But now you've got some pieces in place. You you got to do something with it. And, and that's where, that's where you turn the page. And now we start finding out, okay, now you're set up. Now you got to, now we got to figure out what you're going to do with it. So that's where he's at, I think as a coach and, and where the Colts are really as a team. So anyway, I think uh, that's a good little state of the Colts um, for where they are right now. I think hopefully you learn a little bit. Um, in a couple of years, we'll tell you the rest of what Ballard said in the draft room <laughs> when he forgets. <laughs> we'll fill you in. You know, we we throw out little tidbits over time as we're able. So stick around. You know, you'll get some of that in time. Uh, all right. So, Zach, um, what do we got? We we got. I, I got the Achilles story I'm working on. If you haven't subscribed, by the way, we've got a $1 a month for six months special that I think runs through next week. So, you know, catch them while you can. There, You can't beat those deals. Uh, so I got the Achilles story. We'll we'll tell you a little bit about what happens in practice as well. Uh, I know Zach, you got some stuff you're excited about as well. So you know you can either preview that or or not. But maybe it's a story. yeah.
2: One story that I I've learned a lot on. It, it's kind of a backstory on how Darius Leonard was uncovered. It's it, There's more mm-hmm. to it than you think. There's more to it than I thought. And I got to know the scout that that really found him. And it's 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 eye popping stuff. There's some stuff that will surprise you. And then secondly, I have a a long, long, long story on, on Jim Irsay and his upbringing in the league and his father's influence on his life. And it's, it's as in-depth as I've ever gone on the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. And it's as honest and as open as I've ever heard him talk about his father and his upbringing and the ghosts of Bob Irsay in a lot of respects and, and how different they were and how similar they are. And um, it, it'll be something you'll definitely want to want to dive into.
1: You know, he. I, I, we've been talking about this for a long time. And I remember even a couple of years ago pitching this to him uh, for a Father's Day story. Like, hey, talk about your dad. And, and I think th- we've always known there's a story there, right? He just wasn't ready to tell it. And so I'm glad he's, he's finally doing that. Because I think, I think everything you see with Jim Mercer today, every aspect of it traces back to his father in some
2: fashion, for better or worse. I think, yes, you know? and so, there's both. Yeah, there's exactly. Exactly. So, but I really, um, won't give it all away. I learned a lot about Bob Ursay. you know, I had heard the stories and they still tell these stories, <laughs> but it is, um, it's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable, um, influence that his dad had on his career, both, both bad and good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. So anyway, if you haven't joined us as a subscriber, um, hope that gives you a little window into what you might get. So, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. So we got workouts this week, workouts next week, and then uh, we'll see. I'm, you know, I'm gonna probably like go, you know, off the grid for a while or something, like get lost and turn my phone off, get really crazy. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, you know where to find us. We'll always be around, and uh, stay tuned for more episodes of One Percent Better and
0: more coverage of the Colts at the Athletic.